The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on www.dbam.com. You can reach us on Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And again, reminder that, um, these shows are podcast and you can find, uh, the, this show later on this week and previous shows on the, uh, website www.jewishsacredaging.com. And we'll be back with our first segment guest, uh, Brenda Clement from Boston, uh, right after this message from our friends over at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here this morning on Boomer Generation Radio. And I think thanks to the magic of our producer, Tony, um, Brenda should be with us. Brenda, are you there? I am. Good morning. Hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio. Thank you for giving us your time. How's life in Boston today? A little chilly, but otherwise pretty good. Yeah, not too bad here. Not too bad <laughs> here. About the, I think the same weather. You, uh, Bar- Brenda Clement is uh, the executive director of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, CHAPA, um, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit organization for affordable housing and community development. And we're going to be talking uh, on this first segment about something that uh, appears on a re- fairly regular basis in a variety of different ways in media and is of specific interest to growing numbers of baby boomers about housing and um, the next step in our housing journey, as so many of us are downsizing. But I want to focus in uh, really on this, on the tagline, uh, on the website as well, and this idea of affordable housing. Brenda, you can't drive anywhere around here in southern New Jersey. I was just uh, down visiting uh, in South Florida, how much the more so down there, with this explosion of um, uh, older adult, active adult, whatever the word is, 55 and over, whatever, Mm -hmm. unbelievable places. Philly, like Boston, is booming with high rises in center city, uh, Philadelphia, fairly expensive ones of people, Mm -hmm. you know, rushing to have boomers move back into the city. I know probably you do too, friends of ours who've done that. Um, can What's with this affordable house? Not everybody can afford to, to, to walk into one of these communities at several hundreds of thousands of dollars or one of these high-rise apartments as we downsize, which are not exactly, you know, $129 a month. Tell me about this action and the work of CHAPA, the Citizens Housing and Planning Association, about affordable housing. What's going on in this country? Sure. Uh, well, obviously, as you pointed out, affordable housing is a, a, a big issue and concern for uh, folks as they age, but it's an issue or concern for lots of people, 
the gap between uh, what people can afford and how much housing costs in many areas of our country continues to grow. And so it's not just uh, older individuals, but younger workers and folks with disabilities and other uh, lower wage workers who struggle every day to keep a, a roof over their head. Housing advocates uh, say all the time that the path to economic opportunity begins at your front door and everybody needs that safe and decent place to start their uh, day from. Uh, it's a particular problem, as you mentioned, for older folks, uh, and we know that that number and that problem is going to continue to grow. Uh, uh, these are not new statistics, I'm sure, for you, but uh, it's estimated that number the number of Americans age 65 and older is projected to rise from 40 million in 2010 to nearly 73 million by 2030. And those who are 85 or older will increase in number from 5.5 million to nearly 9 million. And as they continue to age, uh, their housing needs um, will uh, change. And uh, we're as, as a society in general, I think, particularly in many of the hot urban areas, we're ill-equipped to handle it. So let me ask you, well, picking up on this, because you alluded to this in the very, very beginning of what you just said about gaps. So we... we we're hearing a lot about in the in the so-called presidential uh, races that are allegedly going on now about income gaps, inequality of income. What I'm hearing you say also this, is there's an there's a housing gap. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, again, um, in areas you know, particularly on the on the coasts and other areas where we've seen uh, better economic recovery, uh, the gap between housing costs um, and what people can afford continues to grow. Housing costs have risen at a much higher rate than than incomes have. And um, so, and particularly, as I said, for folks who are older or folks who are at the lower age, that gap has grown even more. So trying to look at how we plan for growth and plan for the changing demographics uh, in communities is part of what we need to start to do now um, and, uh, and in order to address these numbers that are just, you know, rising every year. So, and I imagine with a lot of people of the, let's say the AARP post 50 group, and those statistics that you cited with the growth are, you know, non-negotiable anymore. They're just there. People with a fixed income, how do they begin to, how do they begin to manage, you know, I want to move or I have to move, and yet I might, I may not be able to afford it if, if my primary income is, uh, is Social Security and some investments, but with the volatility of the stock market, even my investments may not be holding up. And then we're reading these statistics that baby boomers don't really have not planned to save for their retirement. Right. So your organization is an advocacy so, group? Right. We're in a, an advocacy group that advocates for affordable housing uh, and community development in communities across Massachusetts, CHAPA, also works with our partners throughout New England uh, with an organization called New England Housing Network. And so trying to uh, advocate for and to uh, remind folks that we need to create and develop housing at all income levels, but particularly, obviously, as affordable housing advocates for those most in need. Again, you know, we've said it, you mentioned it before, there's, you know, a lot of 55 and over developments, but it's estimated that over half of senior renters and owners um, who are paying off mortgages pay more than 30% of their income for housing. And the standard for whether or not housing is affordable for you, as you probably know, is uh, d determined by the federal government HUD. 
and if you pay more than 30% of your income, your housing cost is unaffordable. It's about twice as much as what uh, an average senior pays for health care. So we know that we need to continue to create housing options and to build and develop housing units that would be affordable for folks who are on, on a fixed income moving forward. But unfortunately, many communities have continued to resist development and growth of all kinds, not, not just for senior housing, uh, because of their concerns about the impact on housing, uh, on local costs like schools and fire and police and so forth. And some of those are legitimate concerns, but we also feel that communities, given the right tools, can plan for growth and plan for the needs of their citizens moving forward. Is this a, a reflection of a, a certain sense of ageism in American culture? Well, it's ageism, but I also think it's a mixture with housing of, you know, we know as affordable housing advocates that we have some image issues. <laughs> uh, people uh, don't necessarily have a positive message when they think of affordable housing. And, uh, again, it's affordable housing for uh, the people who take care of our children for our, uh, and during the day and our, and our parents at, at uh, night and home health aides and so forth. It's a lot of lower wage workers, but um, I need a new cultural reference for a younger crowd, but I always call housing the Rodney Dangerfield of issues. It, it gets no respect, and, uh, but yet it's a critical need and a critical thing that everybody needs to have. I mean, the, the, with the the desire and the growing desire on the part of baby boomers, especially to age in place, um, I would imagine that there's all kinds of different opportunities or challenges in the housing market and what you're dealing with to, to as, as people change to make the, that next move very, very affordable if I'm dealing with certain issues that I didn't deal with when I was 40 years old, physical issues, mental right. issues. So most people, as you write, want to age in place. Uh, last AARP study that I saw, I can't remember now when it came out, but it said uh, well over 85 or 87 percent of uh, individuals wanted to age in place. Um, but unfortunately, their houses generally may not be the right structure for them to age in place anymore without significant modifications to it. A lot of those home modification loan programs um, that uh, used to be funded through federal programs and federal dollars have been cut over the years uh, with federal budget cuts. And so the ability to, you know, make those accommodations to your house um, are challenging. And even if you can make the accommodations to your house, your neighborhood may not be conducive um, for you uh, aging in place, too. It may not have adequate streetlights, accessible sidewalks, or transportation options. Um, that would make that aging in place a realistic choice. So what we try to encourage and promote in all communities is that we provide a variety of housing options um, to people at all income levels um, and all types as well, so seniors and, and families and everybody in between, um, so that people can choose to live near their social networks, near transportation, um, near uh, hospitals or, you know, other other or jobs. Many seniors are still working, including my own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that we've got to do a better job as a, as a society as a whole, connecting the dots and making sure that we um, can meet the needs of people, not just for a home, but for all of the other services and things that they need. You, you mentioned housing options. Walk me through some of the options that you deal with. 
So one of the, I mean, again, um, just uh, we can look at accessory dwelling units um, where you can modify existing single-family homes, adding units that a caretaker or an individual uh, family member may live in. Um, you know, maybe it's the the parent moves to the smaller apartment in-law. You know, uh, the term in-law apartment or right. accessory dwelling units is common. Unfortunately, many zoning ordinances at a local level, level prohibit the building and development of those units. Um, and so looking at that again and looking at that as, as a tool, uh, trying to look at some of the redevelopment of uh, what are called gray fields in many older communities, and those are all uh, underutilized strip malls or uh, underutilized commercial centers and communities to see if it makes sense to create some apartments or senior units above some of those developments, they, they, are, they are good in many ways because they're often in already in some sort of a town center or a city center or have access to public transit. Um, so again, a, a community can look creatively on what they need to do. Um, they, they just need to realize that this silver tsunami wave is coming and coming very soon. Um, and if in fact not already here in some in some communities, and we need to start planning and building uh, to meet those changing demands uh, very quickly. We're speaking with Brenda Clement, the executive director of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, based in Boston, and we'll be back with Brenda to explore some more of these issues right after this message from our friends down the road here at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio today. Uh, again, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we're speaking with Brenda Clement, the executive director of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, a nonprofit organization for affordable housing and community development uh, based in Boston. I guess the, the first obvious question that I really need to ask you, Brenda, on our, as we come back is you're, you're based in Massachusetts and, and do you have similar types of agencies that are operating around the country? So for example, down here in, Pennsylvania, Southern New Jersey area, are there similar types of organizations that advocate for affordable housing? Yes, there are. Uh, you have uh, some very strong uh, coalitions uh, in your area uh, that advocate for housing in your state legislature and other places. I'm also pleased to be chair of a, a national organization called National Low Income Housing Coalition um, and working with them and other national groups like National Housing Conference and others uh, to advocate for federal resources for uh, affordable housing. And obviously, all of those programs benefit and um, and have uh, it uh, provide for seniors as well. So there are there's a strong network of groups trying to um, address the um, the barriers and concerns at local levels to actually build and develop housing. So um, I'm kind of a news junkie, and I'm watching all these alleged debates, and uh, for the last God knows how many months, <laughs> and um, 
You probably need a better hobby. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for baseball season to start on Monday. That'll that'll redirect my energies. Um, but I don't seem to hear a lot being discussed about affordable housing for the growing numbers of older adults and other uh, other populations in this country. Did I miss something, or or uh, it just not on anybody's radar? Sadly, no. I mean, again, it you know housing. As I jokingly said, I you know called it the Rodney Dangerfield of issues. It just never gets the respect it needs um, until there's a crisis. You know, until there's a foreclosure. Uh, the foreclosure mess of the last couple of years with the, with the economic downturn and, uh, trying to, you know, we're still digging out of that hole in many communities on, and many, uh, individuals and homeowners are still under the water. And so it rises up and blips, um, but never, you know, as to the extent that housing advocates like me, uh, think it should be part of the basic, um, uh, infrastructure discussion that we always have around jobs and, and uh, housing and uh, education and so forth. Uh, so uh, we continue to push hard uh, to make sure that the, uh, the messages get heard, but it has sadly been missing from the, uh, from the presidential debate. Are, are there parts of the country that are doing a better job in this, some communities that are really in tune and, and really focusing on this, or is this is just a general uh, challenge? So I think it's a general challenge uh, to meet the needs. I think in other areas where housing costs and where there's more land, housing costs are not as high, and so the crisis isn't as as uh, big in many areas. But particularly for lower-wage workers, particularly for seniors and people with uh, dis- uh, disabilities, the housing crunch is there in pretty much every community across the country. So I want to talk a little bit about this disability uh, challenge because – um, not only as people, you know, live longer and will accommodate themselves to just the natural disabilities that may come with aging, but the growing disability awareness community in this country. H- how is this translating into the work of uh, CHAPA that, that you must, as you're mentioning, this has to be a real concern um, with it, with housing, retrofitting housing, building new housing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, yes, I think it's very critical and housing advocates have, have, uh, really ramped up efforts, I think, over the last couple of years to better work, uh, with our healthcare advocates, um, to look at programs like Medicaid and Medicare and other resources within the federal healthcare system to help people stay in their homes, um, to, you know, figure out how to provide the adequate services to help people age in place where appropriate or, uh, link up the resources together, the housing resources and the health resources to make home modifications and so forth. Again, you know, this health and housing connection is critical for seniors, but it's also critical for families, um, helping reduce the number of times that a kid goes to an emergency room uh, for asthma treatment uh, because their house is causing, has environmental contaminants like lead or, or other problems is also helps the healthcare system in the long term. So, this connection and this uh, trying to figure out ways that we can work more effectively together to provide better outcomes uh, for individuals from both the health and housing perspective is a key piece of the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years and will con- be continuing to do for a long period of time. So do you, does CHAPA work with, uh, you're alluding to this linkage of, of the housing and health care coalition, do you, do you work with individuals or or 
consortiums? We're, we're not a direct service agency. Our okay. member organizations provide um, direct services and programs, but we're very pleased um, here in Massachusetts to have just recently embarked on some joint efforts with both Blue Cross Foundation, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation, and Tufts Health Foundation, two of the major health um, health providers here in this region, um, to start to work on, on on some joint programs and ventures together. So we look again. You know, it's it's uh, something that we'll continue to uh, work on uh, quite a bit over the next couple of years. So, I mean, do you like provide resources? If I if I'm need to figure out the health relatedness of my house, or whether you know, there's a whole big thing now in the country, and even now here in New Jersey with the water with lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you in coalition right, we work? We will certainly link you up to appropriate coalitions. There's been a long time coalitions around green and healthy housing. Um, based out of Baltimore and Washington, D.C., with lots of local branches and initiatives across the country. And so, again, they're trying to provide folks with appropriate home repair, um, lead grants, and other programs. And a lot of those programs have been around for a long time. So, uh, But they haven't been to the scale uh, that we need them to uh, be at already, and we know that the demand is going to continue to grow. Oh yeah, given the, given just the statistics that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, that's you know it's non-negotiable anymore. No, that's right. I mean, there you know it's happening as we speak. You know, more more and more people are hitting the boomer age, and their housing needs and their um, demands will change. Do you think there's a, a, a misconception or misperception on the part of the media or just the popular ideology in America that you know? Uh, this really isn't an issue for older adults. I mean, there seem to be enough community situations or family or nursing homes or what CCRs, continuing care retirement communities. But it seems to me from talking to you that there's this huge gap of people who just can't afford to get into this this type of society who just need to worry about those last decades of life and really to be able to afford a decent place to live. Right, and 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 I think a lot of those folks want um, different types of options than than just what you know in their mind they see as a nursing home. I mean, there are many wonderful quality nursing and assisted living facilities out there as well too. But I think the perception from folks is that that doesn't meet their needs either. So trying to uh, provide what they want and need um, to address their housing needs is critical. And as you said, I mean, for many folks who are going to relying on little or no income or only Social Security, um, so many people have not participated in um, in, in uh, pension savings programs or other other programs through their employment. And so, when they retire, their savings levels are very, very low. Um, so, trying to uh, provide again a housing choice, a housing variety. Uh, in the most cost-effective way is really what we need to do moving forward. So if you if you could just uh, give me the two or three most important things that a person who's facing some of these housing issues needs to worry about or do or pre- be proactive about, what would those what would those be? So I think for on an individual basis, they need to start to have a discussion within their own family of you know what they want to do if they want to stay in their home and how they might be able to do that. They need to start to contact their local community, either the local nonprofit senior center or their local city or town government to see what programs or options might be available to them already. Um, There are some home repair loan programs, other 
resources, fuel assistance programs, other things to help people um, that uh, some seniors, particularly low-income seniors, would qualify for. And uh, they need to uh, start to help all of the local groups at the local level advocate for more development and building in their community uh, to provide housing options and choices. So uh, we've been speaking with Brenda Clement, the executive director of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, a nonprofit organization for affordable housing and community development uh, based in Boston. But as uh, Brenda has told us, uh, working in coalition with other groups, like-minded groups around the country. So I want to thank you, Brenda, for giving us your time and lots of really great information about this challenge and, and a concern which I as you've mentioned, probably is not on the front radar screen of so many uh, people, especially the government, but really affects millions and millions and millions of people and is going to continue. So I wish you continued good luck and success, and thank you again for giving us your time and expertise and knowledge here on Boomer Generation Radio. You take care. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Before we uh, move into our um, – musical bridge to get ready for our second segment. A reminder from a very good friend of the show here, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, which provides uh, concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, Peter and his group use a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive a written plan and frequent communication and very rapid response to all inquiries. And there are no needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning, especially in this rather volatile financial environment. Uh, Peter and his group provide experience, guidance, and an efficient management process. Additionally, Hecht and his team can assist you in connecting to Johnny Montgomery Scott's investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And a reminder that during this coming year, and we'll be speaking more about this as we move closer to one of the events, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting workshops on a variety of very, very important issues relevant to all of us, such as um, uh, iPhone security, social security, cybersecurity, uh, medicine, and what matters at the end of life. And we're inviting to call them at 856-291-5028 or their toll-free number at 855 855- 289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. Ask for John Connors for more information. And the Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And as we've been reminding you, Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and SIPC. And as we move into our second segment uh, to talk a little bit about transitions and career and life transitions, our musical bridge this morning for some of us, let's go back to maybe seventh grade and see if you remember this. Chances are, cause I wear a silly grin the moment you come into view. Chances are you think that I'm in love with you. Just because my composure sort of slips the moment that your lips meet mine. 
Chances are you think my heart your valentine In the magic of moonlight When I sigh, hold me close, dear Chances are you believe the stars that fill the sky If you think you could Well, chances are your chances are Awfully good Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good morning. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDBA M860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And again, we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com, and we want to welcome Nancy Colomer to our microphones. Nancy, are you there? I am. Hi. Greetings from sunny Connecticut. Ah, great. It's a good day on the East Coast, I'm telling you. It it's, is indeed. That's uh, because uh, baseball is coming back. It's a sure sign <laughs> of truth. Um, anyway, anyway, we're not going to do the baseball show today, uh, but we want to welcome Nancy Colomer, uh, second act careers. We're going to talk a little bit about something that's really, really interesting and very relevant to so many of our generation. That's, um, what I call transitioning. And, um, on your website, mylifestylecareer.com, that's www.mylifestylecareer.com, one word. You talk about the not-so-secret key to a happy second act. What is that? Yeah. Well, I, it, it, the short answer is it's the people that you surround yourself with. Um, and, you know, we are, as humans, we are social animals, and the people that we choose to 
uh, spend our free time with and the people that we choose to work around uh, can make an enormous difference in how happy we are. Um, you know, I've been a career coach for nearly 20 years, and it's amazing how many times I have people who come to see me, and on paper, they have the perfect job, and yet when I ask them why they are considering making a shift, when you start to, to ask the questions, what you discover is it's the boss that they just can't stand anymore, or the coworkers who they really just don't relate to. So people are key. What about this idea that I'm sure you've run across as coach and I run across as, in, in, as clergy, that people reach a certain stage uh, in their 50s or whatever, even if they're not laid off and have a, a work issue that forces them to, to do a transition, but they, they wake up one day or, or it emerges, I don't want to do this anymore. I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. It's, I, I may have 30, 40 more years of life, God willing. I want, I've always wanted to do X. What is that, what is that trigger? How do you, how do you as a career coach give them that support to allow them to make that risk, to make that jump? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question and it is not, not such a simple answer. Um, the, you know, the, the, um, example that you just gave was of someone who has a sense of what they want to do next. And that certainly is extremely helpful. You know, sometimes it's just someone says, look, I've been an accountant for 30 years. What I've always wanted to do is I've always had this great love of music, and I'm really ready to do something with that. People who know what their passion is, it's extremely helpful because they are moving towards something. But, you know, the reality is for a lot of people, they get to this point and they're just, they're tired. And they they know that they're sick of doing what they have been doing, but they don't know what else is out there. Um, and so in the in the book, and certainly when I work with people, we walk through a five-step process. And the, the first part of that process is to really just think about, you know, what's your vision for your life going forward? Because hopefully you are at a point in life where life doesn't have to be all about work anymore, where you can begin to craft a lifestyle that really begins to work for you. So that's that's the first step. And the second step is to just begin to do what I call gathering your data, um, which is go through, make a list of all the jobs that you've had and, and the volunteer experiences and the meaningful uh, accomplishments that you've had over the years. And you know, one of the great things about being someone who is 50-plus is that you have a lot of information to work with. Um, you know, when you think back to probably the last time that you made a major career decision, it was probably when you were in college and someone asked you to, to declare your major. Well, at that point in life, you just don't have a whole lot of information to work with. By the time you're in your 50s or 60s, you have not only a lot of information and experience to tap into, but you probably have a wide network of uh, connections and, and people who know you and know what you do well, um, who you can sit down with and, and start the conversations rolling. Um, and then after, after you do that and you have a good sense of, of what you love to do and what you find meaningful um, and what you do well, then you need to start to research what are some options out there that um, meet a need in the marketplace. And so it is a, a, a process. It doesn't happen overnight, um, but it, it can really be a very exciting time of change for people. The um, 
the work that you've done, you, you blog for Next Avenue, and then you've, uh, you know, you're a contributor to a variety of different magazines, and, and you've written, I think the name of your book is Second Act Careers? That's correct, yes. And by the way, let's do this right fast. Second Act Careers is available how? It, it is uh, available in all the bookstores, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, right. the- all, all, all the major outlets. So you, you alluded to the side that this is not something you just wake up on a Tuesday and say, okay, I'm about to uh, become a scuba diver because I love to swim. Um, you know, th- and this is something a lot of our a lot of our generation is facing. When when do you begin to act on this dream? You know, is is yeah. is it something that we we keep hearing? You make a plan, a financial plan, a care plan. You know, uh, are you advocating then a career change plan? Um, what I say to people is, you know, ideally people should start this process three to five years before they plan to retire. But we all know that, um, you know, ideal is one thing and, and in reality it's another. So what, what I suggest is think of this in terms of sort of levels of uh, effort that you can put into this. And, and there's some really easy things to do. In fact, I have an upcoming post coming out on U.S. News uh, where I write about this, about 10 really simple things that you can do while you're still working full-time to just get the ball rolling. Um, and one of them is just start a, a file, whether it's on your computer or in a notebook, of possible second-act ideas. Because, you know, Richard, we are just surrounded by information, tons of information, too much information, every day. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we read a great article and we think, well, that would be cool to do that. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, it's, it's you've forgotten it. Right. Um, so I say to people, just start a file. You know, I have one of my bookmarks on my computer is just second act ideas. And whenever I see an interesting story uh, online, I just click on it, I keep it in the file, and then I can go back and look at, look at it later. So that's something really easy you can do while you're still working. And uh, on my website, I have a number of places that you can tap into to find really interesting second act stories. Um, something else you can do is just, you know, start the conversation. All of your friends are probably dealing with this question at the same time. So, you know, next time you have a dinner party, throw out a question. Say, hey, you know, what are you thinking about doing? And you will be amazed when, you know, the, the wine is flowing and you've got – a, a group of six to eight people in your age bracket, the number of ideas that will start to flow, and not just ideas, but also potential opportunities. Somebody might say, you know, hey, I've got a buddy who would love to hire somebody like you on a part-time basis. So the, these are all really simple things that you can do while you're still working. As you get closer to the point when you're going to retire, that's when you want to start to do the activities that are going to require a little bit more time doing the, the personal assessment to really drill down, again, on, on what do you do well, what do you love to do, what are the opportunities that might be a good fit for you. And, and then you want to start to test things out. Maybe you start to take on a little bit of, you know, like a side gig, or you do some volunteering to see whether you're really interested in shifting into the nonprofit world. Um, but you're probably not going to, going, to do that, going to have the time to do that, until you're pretty close to retirement or even after once once you've retired. And the other thing I would add to this is that I say to people, you know, don't worry if you, you get to retirement and you don't have all this figured out. Sometimes it's really, really helpful to just take six months, 
kick back, you know, go take those, the, the bucket list trips, go clean out the closets that are overflowing with the junk you've been saying for years you're going to get rid of, and just decompress. And it's amazing how once you take that, that break, so to speak, um, you'll begin to look at, at things with fresh eyes. Yeah, it's like allowing life to come to you rather than having to figure out, I need a plan. Sometimes we don't need a plan, and I, I think that's really good advice, uh, Nancy, that sometimes it, it, as we move from full-time work into trying to figure out the next chapter, it's okay to just take a breath and let life come and, you know, let, let the game come to us, so to speak. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the wild cards of all of this is obviously, as many of our generation know, there, I always try to teach, there are two major wild cards, uh, money and health. And, you know, if you, if you have both of them or at least enough money to be, you know, somewhat happy, uh, and economically secure, you could, you can do a lot of things. The challenge, of course, is, you know, it probably in your, in your career counseling, that if you lose aspects of your health and issues with money, especially post 2008, that really does impact your ability to, um, dream the dream. Uh, and, and how do you in your career counseling, Somebody who may start out and you're working and then all of a sudden one of these two wild cards comes into play. How do we make that mid-course adjustment? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Those are, those are the two big wild cards. Um, and, you know, the answer is it's not, it's not easy. Um, the good news is to some extent a lot of the work that people do these days, as, as you well know, I mean, you know, I'm, quite frankly, I'm sitting here in my gym clothes um, in front of a computer. So it is no longer for a lot of people that you need to even leave your house. There, there's a lot of work that can be done, um, particularly in the information economy. Uh, as long as you have a computer and as long as you can use it, um, all sorts of possibilities open up for people. So that that's a really good change for a lot of people, um, particularly if you're somebody, you know, the other, I, I would say the, the third wild card in this mix is for a lot of people, it's not necessarily your health, but it's the health of your partner. Right, right, right. Um, and then you end up being a caretaker. So there are a lot of people who end up being housebound. Um so, again, you know, sometimes you need to say, well, instead of going out of the house to generate the income, what are some things I can do from home or, or using my computer? So that, that's one adjustment that sometimes can be quite helpful. Um, <clears throat> and then in terms of, of the money, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's people need to figure out what their financial needs are and then be realistic about what options are going to meet those needs. Now, sometimes um, people can also make some adjustments in their lifestyle. You know, if you're living in a in a area where the housing prices are high, sometimes you know, if you sell your house and, and move to an area with a uh, you know lower cost of living, that works. Um, there are, I mean, I'm, I'm continually amazed at the creative ways people are finding to generate income um, and, and live a really fun lifestyle on a very small income. So um, it's, it's doable, but, you know, oftentimes the first step is you just, you really need to take a hard look and be honest with yourself about what those limitations are, and that can be really hard for people. They just want to avoid it. We're speaking with Nancy Colomer, a blogger, uh, author of uh, Second Act Careers, uh, the website mylifestylecareer.com. And we're going to be back with uh, Nancy right after this message from our good friends at Kendall.
Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. We're back with our second segment here at Boomer Generation Radio. We're speaking with Nancy Collimer, a blogger, author, lifestyle coach, dealing with transitions in, uh, from so-called retirement into the, our next stage. Nancy, the, we see, keep seeing, uh, and I have you know, very, very many friends doing the same thing, who are people really not retiring, uh, just, you know, just doing, you know, just retiring, you know, cutting coupons or, or, or playing golf every day, but active boomers who choose who are to a variety of reasons who've left full time work, but they want to still keep working. They want to still keep doing. And, um, this, this is really the basis of your work, isn't it? This, it's not really retirement. It's just transitions into, I think you call it semi retirement. Could you elaborate yeah. on that? Sure. Well, you're absolutely right that, you know, given the uh, demographics and, you know, we have nearly uh, 11,000 uh, 11, baby boomers, you know, quote-unquote retiring every day, um, but we now have this sort of crazy dynamic where people are generally working in their uh, full-time big careers for, you know, about 40 years, typically early to mid-20s to early to mid-60s. Um, and now they, they, the fact that we can expect to live, um, in, you know, in many cases until close to our 90s, suddenly they're looking at this dynamic where they're working full-time for 40 years and then they're looking at a 30-year time period that, that we used to call retirement. Um, well, you know, the word retirement comes from a French word meaning to retreat or to go off in isolation. Um, and I don't think any of us wants, wants to do that for 30 years. So... Um, you know, people are saying, my goodness, I'm going to have 30 years to fill. That's a lot of hours to fill, and it's quite frankly a lot of years to fund as well. What am I going to do with that time? Um, and as a result, it's not surprising that all of the surveys are showing that a majority of people are saying, yes, I expect to continue working into these years, but I want to do so um, on, in a different way. I'm looking for part-time work, flexible work, seasonal work. Um, and, you know, I have to tell you, there's, there are people out there doing really fun, interesting, different types of things. In the book, I have um, all sorts of stories. Um, but just as an example, last summer, my family, we were out in the national parks. And we, we were out in uh, Yellowstone and I got to talking with our tour guide, and she and her husband are both retired school teachers. They go out to the national parks. They are there. They've been doing this now for five summers. They go between May and October, and they both work as tour guides. And so, you know, great example. They, they love being in front of a group of people. As she says, it's so much more fun doing this for people that are really interested in what she has to say as opposed to for middle school students. They have housing in the park. Um, and, you know, that's an example. National parks, most people think of those as being staffed by college students. Well, guess what? Parks are open between May and October. College students go back to school. 
And if you go to the national parks in September, you will see gray-haired people doing everything from leading tours to manning the cash registers um, to, uh, you know, doing, doing maintenance work. So one small example of, of thousands of different types of things that people are out there doing. How important is it for, let's say, boomers who are in this transitional phase to, be, to, to have the value uh, and the capacity of being very flexible? Um, I think it is important to be flexible, and I think one of the things that people uh, really need to be flexible about is that when we talk about working during retirement, that chances are that you may not have necessarily a paycheck job. You may be doing project work or seasonal work, or you may be working as a temp, um, and that's a real shift for people in our generation. You know, we were the generation that grew up going to work for the GEs and the IBMs of the world, and we equate work with being employed. Um, that has really uh, – that is a, a significant shift that's going on in, in the workplace that we are increasingly moving towards what we call the gig economy. I just wrote about this on Next Avenue. Um, so it's, what I say to people is you need to shift your thinking away from finding a job to filling a need. Um, and, and that can require a bit of, a, of an adjustment. The, uh, you, on your website, um, the uh, my lifestyle, mylifestylecareer.com, you have a piece there uh, from the Encore 2016 conference that you that you were at and we've had mark friedman on the show and i think one other individual from one of their offices also on the show talking about encore careers talk to me a little bit about this experience that you had because you probably were front and center on the front lines of people who are in this this uh, this transitional phase yeah this is one of the most exciting um, transformations that we're seeing is uh, as as you know the encore movement is all about finding a second act uh, that that addresses filling a a purpose and a passion and and a paycheck um, and there are so many people who get to uh, the point where they're fifty or sixty. And, you know, they don't want their work to be all about making uh, an income anymore. They want to make a difference in the world, whether it's to leave a legacy or to somehow just make their community a, a better place. And what the Encore organization does is they really help empower people with all sorts of programs and informational products um, <clears throat> to explore this vast world of not just working for a nonprofit, um, but also people who want to start their own foundations or might want to start their own small organization locally, and they have services that can help people do that. Um, it's so exciting because, you know, the fact of the matter is is that by the time you get to be this age, you have a lot of experience and perspective and maturity that you can apply towards solving a problem in the world that really speaks to you. The, um, oh, go ahead. No, and I, I say, you know, I'm fond of saying to people, you know, that, that doesn't mean you need to be Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa needed to be Mother Teresa. <laughs> um, the, the way in which you choose to make the world a better place can take many different forms. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite stories in the book is I profile a woman who started a um, for-profit business called Cool Jams, 
where she makes uh, nightwear for people dealing with night sweats, believe it or not. Um, it's been a very successful company, and part of the way that she uses her business to give back is that she donates 20% of her profits to causes that speak to her, and she also makes it a point to go around and speak to groups of women entrepreneurs who are looking for assistance starting their own businesses. So the, the important thing is to figure out what are the causes that speak to you and then use your unique gifts and talents to help fill those needs. Yeah, I want to pursue this this before we start running out of time, this get what I call the give back syndrome. There's so many articles and literature and, and aspects of books that are talking about baby boomers who reach a certain stage, and you alluded to this, and I now am in a position in my life that I want to give something back to my community, and that's what I'm going to focus on in this this last stage or this next phase of my life. In your career counseling, somebody comes to you and says, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay, I'm tired, I'm, I'm moving out of full-time work. I don't want to go work at Barnes & Noble. Let's say I want to do something that I want to give back to the community. And I'm not worried about I want to perhaps work at the Boys and Girls Club or tutor uh, kids in, in a low-income neighborhood or in a school. How do you begin to, to move them in that direction? Um, and what are you seeing? Are you seeing more and more of this? Yeah, um, the answer is yes, I am seeing more of that. And in terms of moving them towards that direction, I, I think there are a couple of key questions. The first is the question of what are the causes um, and, and that, that really speak to you, um, and that's a good place to start. Are you concerned about the environment? Do you want to do something in conjunction with your you know, church or synagogue? Um, so, so what's the cause that speaks, with, uh, speaks to you? Uh, and the second thing is what are the skills that you'd like to then deploy to help this organization? Um, and it may or may not be, by the way, connected to what you did before. Um, you know, you may be somebody, I was just having this conversation with someone the other day who has an outstanding background in doing corporate strategy and organizational development, but she has done that for 20 years. So she really wants to use some of her other skills um, to, you know, that, that she's had some experience using, but she wants to develop those. So a great way to get started with that is, you know, particularly if you're talking about nonprofits, is go meet with them. Um, find a way that you can volunteer with them. The, the one caution, though, that I say to people is it can be surprisingly difficult to find a really meaningful volunteer assignment. Um, so before you go in and meet with them, really think long and hard about what it is that you have to offer and what you want to gain from doing this, um, because you don't want to end up in a position where, where you walk in the door and they say, oh, well, we need someone to step envelopes. That's probably not going to fit the bill. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, this is not a generation, as I, as I tell congregations when I go out and consult with them, this is not a generation of envelope stuffers. That's... Uh, they want something meaningful. They want something that, that gives them a sense of fulfillment and purpose. Um, yeah. and, and I think that that's part of the giving, giving back. And, and you use the term, we see this term a lot now and, and also in my work, the concept of legacy. We want to, the idea of leaving something of meaning behind of what, what we've done. Um, Nancy, real fast, uh, the book is called? The book is called Second Act Careers, 50-plus Ways to Profit from Your Passions During Semi-Retirement, and it's available, again, at all the major online and, and uh, brick-and-mortar bookstores. And you blog at where? 
at uh, my my uh, site is mylifestylecareer.com. And by the way, I have a free newsletter. It goes out every other week where I curate the best information about second acts and semi-retirement from around the web. So it's a wonderful way to just stay on, on in touch with what's going on on this topic. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter on the site. And I also blog for Next Avenue and U.S. News on their On Retirement blog. And again, the website is www.mylifestylecareer.com. We have one minute left. Give us the top three things that you want to leave somebody thinking about as they move forward. Sure. Um, the, the first I would say is uh, just do one small thing today to get started, whether it's to sign up for, for my newsletter or to take a look uh, on the site. I have a list of 100-plus great Second Act career resources, you know, to, to start that file of Second Act ideas um, because that will get the juices flowing. That's number one. Number two is, as I said before, do begin to shift your thinking away from just finding a job and think in terms of, of filling a need. And three is start the discussions with friends um, because everybody's thinking about this, and it can be a really fun and enlightening way to begin to get some great ideas about your next act. Nancy, thank you very, very much for lots of good information, ideas, and sharing them with us here on Boomer Generation Radio. I appreciate your time. I wish you continued success and good luck. Again, uh, Second Act Careers is the name of the book available from bookstores and Amazon. And to get a hold of Nancy and the webs, uh, uh, and the newsletter, www.mylifestylecareer.com. Nancy, thank you very, very much. Continued success. Good health. My pleasure. To everyone, see you next week here on Boomer Generation Radio, WWDB AM 860 here and streaming on WWDBAM.com. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. See you next week. Stay healthy, everyone.